The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only and are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on The Lab Report, part two of our interview with Dr. Brad Lichtenstein. Yeah, we're going to talk about mind-body medicine and actually do a meditation today. Yeah, today I could use a little mindfulness. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to The Lab Report. Sugar, man. I know, I think you need cookies. Sugar. <laughs> it is a problem. You need something. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? Hello! Hi, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. How's it going? It's going well. I, I see that you have a sugar dearth. I'm fantastic today. Thank Great. you. <laughs> Welcome to the Lab Report. Welcome, everyone, to this podcast brought to you by Genova Diagnostics, where we talk about functional medicine, uh-huh. specialty lab testing, yeah. and integrative therapeutics uh-huh. like mind-body medicine. That's right. And I'm so excited for today's episode. And if you're excited about mind-body medicine... And this podcast, you should probably subscribe and rate and review and That's download and all that if stuff. If you haven't already subscribed. Fair. And if you have already subscribed and you're still excited, yeah. just put that excitement in the subject line or the body of the email and address it to podcast at gdx.net. <laughs> and uh, we appreciate that sort of feedback. Yeah, we've loved reading emails. So keep them coming. Yeah. We, we like the feedback. And uh, it seems like people like cases. <laughs> it's a winning. Slightly more. It's winning. It's winning. Slightly more than those. Duly that noted. Like the one person okay, sitting. Okay. Duly from noted. Me. Uh, but, yeah. But what are we doing for our podcast today? Well, today is part two of an interview that we did with Dr. Brad Lichtenstein. That's right. Yeah, and he's board certified in several different types of biofeedback. True. And on the prior episode, he actually talked about different types of biofeedback. He went into something called the polyvagal theory, yeah. which was super fascinating. Yes. And. This second part of the interview, we take it a step further. He's going to talk to us about mindfulness and meditation and hopefully even lead us in a meditation. Wow, that sounds really interesting. I'm excited to get to it. Um, There's a lot here. Mm-hmm. And some of this might be new terrain for some people. So hopefully this is uh, informative and gives you some ideas, some practical tips, and gives you just a little bit of an outline, orientation around what mind-body medicine is all about. And many of you will recall... This is actually the center of the functional medicine matrix. That's how important it is. Mental, emotional, spiritual. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So without further ado, let's just get to the rest of the interview. And you know, as you gather that information from HRV and other types of biofeedback, some of that then gets into trying to help people regulate that using mind-body medicine approaches, which is kind yeah. of your specialty here. Mm-hmm. And yes. it, it's common to hear about the how and the why of meditation, even though most people find that difficult to maintain a practice. But also part of that is mindfulness. And as you're dealing with these patients, can you speak to what mindfulness is and how it relates back to helping them regulate their nervous system? Oh, great. Great question. Uh, these are like huge, wonderful questions. Um <laughs> You know, and clearly, as you can listen to the intonation of my voice, I get excited by these <laughs> conversations. Um, mindfulness, it's such an, 
we can get into the whole political, socioeconomic, cultural aspects of mindfulness. I borrow from the very secular perspective of mindfulness training promoted mostly by John Kabat-Zinn, but even before that, um, mindfulness simply means attention to the present moment without judgment or without elaboration. Hmm. I like to, and, and so people go, oh, what does that mean? <laughs> well, that means it's, it's focusing on something. And the present moment could be anything. It could be your breath, but it could be the sensations in your finger. It could be the light that's in the room. It could, it's being present to what is happening right now, what is arising right now, without layering it with any judgment. Oh, I don't like that. Oh, I do like that. Oh, that's good. That's bad. That's, oh, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's getting down to the very naked root experience of something. Like it's, it, it's, I liken it to being a researcher because I think people can relate to that. A researcher doesn't say that was good or bad. The researcher said, oh, well, this is what happened. Yeah. yeah. You know, when I put the reagent in at 70 degrees, this is what happened. But what about 72 degrees? What about... So mindfulness is about being present to that. It's like if I ask you to describe the sandwich you just ate, to be mindful, you would have to break down, well, it tasted like tomato. Well, what's tomato taste like? Mm-hmm. And then people in, who've done Chinese medicine and other different constitutional forms of medicine will say, oh, was it salty, sour, bitter, astringent? So it's like going back down to the root of something. The reason this is important is because one, None of us can make an informed decision about what to do next in our life if we're not fully aware of what truly happened, Hmm. right? Right. If we make judgments, we need to make snap decisions in certain times, but that becomes, that's based on experience. So I have enough experience of something that then I can make this higher order cognitive function. But when we get back down to the basis of something, what is happening now? What am I feeling now? Then we can make an informed decision. So it's really important for that. The other thing is a lot of our suffering, a lot of our suffering is because we're living in the judgment of something or the elaboration of something. And we're not, we're missing the moment. Mm. So I, I remember you mentioned in the intro that wonderful intro about the hospice meditations I did. And I remember one hospice meditation where the patient was getting chemo. He was going through his chemo and he said, can you meet me at the hospital instead of my home? And I said, sure. Cause we went wherever they wanted us to go. So I went to the hospital and he's sitting there getting his eye, his chemo and he's in the hospital. So you know what that's like? There's beeps and, oh, and God, yes. pagers oh, and God. everything. And he, I ring my bell he closes his eyes and I'm leading him through it. And I'm doing my talking. And every five seconds you hear, Dr. So-and-so, please come. <laughs> I'm having flashbacks. <laughs> yes. Well, I, so am I. Because I started, my body was so tight. And by the end of that meditation, when I rang, rang the bell 30 minutes later, he opened his eyes and said, that was fantastic. That was the best time I've ever had getting chemo. This was really helpful. Mm. And I was schwitzing. I was <laughs> tense. My stomach was knots because I was sitting there going, 
come on guys hospital can't you see i'm helping someone meditate the world <laughs> revolves around this person and me. and so i wasn't mindful yeah. if i was mindful i would have heard the sound and it would have just been sound yeah Aww, and yes. so, so this is and i hope that it was an example of like so mindfulness uh -huh. is a way to be present and as you're hearing this, mindfulness is not passivity. Everyone has this idea that being mindful means your mind is blank. Your mind isn't blank at all. Your mind is saying, oh, I'm noticing what's happening. And I don't have to follow any of those trains of thoughts. Hmm. Yeah. It's the judgment part of that, I guess, huh? Yeah. And yep. it's so interesting, like, kind of getting back to what you were talking about with the one patient and the anxiety and how it becomes visualization. Like, it can be so difficult to to stop yourself in that moment. It, it, that's where I guess the practice comes in maybe, but it, that's, it gets to be so difficult to be mindful in that particular moment. Cause it's like, as Eckhart Tolle said, anxiety, worry pretends to be important. Right. And so it can be so difficult to, <laughs> yeah. to, to snap out of it. Is there like a, is there something that you do? Is there a, a mantra or, or something that, that helps you to stay more mindful throughout the day? That's a great question. The thing that I tell everyone to start with is it is a practice. It is mm -hmm. a practice. And if you're not willing to practice, you will not have change. Now, I'm not trying to shame or judge anybody there because guess what? It might feel, you know, kind of taking Eckhart Tolle's statement and going with it, it might feel unsafe to sit down. Mm. If you've had any trauma, any type of physical trauma, I've had patients who have had surgical trauma, feeling the symptoms in the body, the sensations in the body doesn't feel safe. It's not about logic. It just doesn't feel safe. So of course, you're going to either mobilize or freeze, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to practice. You have to practice when you feel safe. Not everybody has that opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. You know that now we can go to Maslow's hierarchy. Um, I do think we have more time to practice. A lot of us have more time. Sure. We spend more time scrolling through Facebook and Instagram and checking this and do, you know, I think we do have time. But no, and the other thing about practice, sorry, I, I, it is a soapbox of mine. The other thing about practice is no musician would think of going to the Carnegie Hall to perform if they didn't practice and they practice their scales they practice the basics they don't just practice the piece just the hardest part the easy parts they practice over and over mm -hmm. the gymnast does that the and we afford more time and respect i think as a, overall as a culture to physical performance and we seem to relegate emotional states to this other thing, this nebulous thing, well, I just can't do this. And I, I disagree that we don't think that changing our emotional life is about changing our physiology, how we inhabit our body, and how we cognitively think about it. So it is a practice that, that we need to value more. It's like I used to say to the students in the first year, I care more about how you think, your thought process, than the right answer. Mm -hmm. and we're too much thinking about the end. So it's a practice. Yeah. And you ask me, what do I do? Well, I have several practices that I do throughout the day. But one thing is I remind myself repeatedly 
and isn't this why I'm a practitioner, right? You know, we get to do this with others so I can work on myself. Right. Um, Don't tell I anyone. Re- really? I mean, I realize I get to say this. I'm saying this to you. I say this to my students. I say it to my patients all day long. And it reminds me, I remind myself that every single person on this planet is behaving the way they are because they're trying to feel safe. Hmm. So, so whether I'm going to say things that might be, you know, provocative to people listening, whether you think a wall will make you safe, whether you think a wall won't make you safe, whether you think wearing a mask will keep you safe or whether wearing a mask is not keeping you safe, it doesn't matter, right? Everyone is acting out on a certain way because they're trying to feel safe. And what that does for me is when I notice, oh, I'm doing this behavior again, I pause and I ask myself, well, how safe do I feel in the world right now? Hmm. You know, it's like yeah. uh, if I wake up in the middle of the night, which <laughs> I'm, I'm prone to do, I'm a mobilizer. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I understand immobilization, you know, from a uh, Ayurvedic perspective. I don't understand kapha. Um, <laughs> I've been in relationships with kaffas and, and, and I still don't get it. Um, <laughs> I mean, see, and that actually, that actually helps, right? You know, so if I'm in a relationship with someone who's a kaffa and when they get stressed, they just sleep. I could sit there mindlessly saying, what's wrong with you? The day's beginning. Come on. There's mm-hmm. things to do. You don't feel good. Let's get up and move. Yeah. That's because that's my orientation. Yeah. They're trying to be safe too. And so what all of us do is we take it personally. We think everything's about us, right? Mm -hmm. So one of my practices, this is the practice. I practice from a Buddhist perspective, I'll practice meta meditation. I say, I wish that we all feel safe and healthy and happy and live with ease. Because when I know that when we all do that, we wouldn't respond the way we do. Mm -hmm. So when... I get upset with other people. Family is always a different issue, but uh, <laughs> um, but even with my family, I really have. I've I've really worked on. That's not about me, you know. It, it's they're trying to be safe. And see, the thing is, then when I think of it that way, when my spouse does something, with my, if my mother does something, then I'll want to engage then I won't immobilize and run away or fight them or shut down. I'll say, wait a minute, how do they not feel safe in the world? Let's see about how do I engage with them and talk to them about that. And the same thing as I was saying earlier, and I didn't finish about waking up in the middle of the night. I used to do the cognitive therapy approach uh, for insomnia with patients. You know, if you're not sleeping, sleep hygiene. If you're not sleeping in 20 minutes, get up, do something else until you're tired. What we just did by doing that, oh, I'm sure I'm going to get feedback on this one from people, <laughs> but what we just did is make sleep and lack of sleep the enemy. Yeah. Now yeah. we've mobilized against it. Yeah. It's something to fix. Yeah. Hmm. You judged it. That's right. Yeah. I'm not sleeping. I'm going to be tired tomorrow. Guess what? You are going to be tired tomorrow. So? Yeah. So? Right. Luckily, now that I'm just working from home, I don't have to worry about driving because that is a that is an issue. It is, but right. you well, know, I'm I'm not going to die. So what I work on is I'm awake at three in the morning. I'm like, how do I want to engage in this moment? I, I it's three o'clock. I can just practice 
breathing. I can protect, practice settling. Oh my God, I've got a comfortable bed. I'm safe. Wow. What do I want to do now? Not to fall back to sleep, but to be peace in this moment. And yeah. peace doesn't mean happiness. Peace means I'm not struggling. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's interesting because you can, that relates to so many different aspects, not only of just general living, but even being physicians, because we're talking about behavior change in a way, you know, and you're just talking about sleep and, and sleep hygiene. And, and that's, that's one type of thing that we do from a intervention standpoint. Right. And I use the word intervention kind of in quotations because it's like, that's the word we're giving somebody a treatment plan. And I think so many clinicians new to integrative, functional, naturopathic medicine, new to this space, they, they get these things like diet changes and exercise strategies and sleep hygiene, and then they just start trying to remove patients' habits. Um, and I, I think that when we're dealing with behavior change, and this is ultimately behavior change medicine, like there's a different way to go about it to make sure that it's working if, if you follow me there. And so I'm just, I wonder about your overall approach to, to behavior change and, and trying to fix quote unquote bad habits. Yeah, that's, that's important. I, I was trained in motivational interviewing. I took courses at the Department of Health on motivational interviewing, and I've, I've taught nurses and I've taught naturopathic medical students um, motivational interviewing, which falls under the rubric of mind-body medicine mm. or the heading of mind-body medicine. Mm. And I, I see so many practitioners who just say, you've got to stop this. And I was like, really? Why? <laughs> you know, don't eat this. But they're not looking at how that diet is helping the person regulate and be safe. They're not asking when you ate that, that uh, bar of chocolate instead of the piece or you ate that quart of ice cream instead of just a few scoops – how did it serve you? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and every practitioner really needs to look at their own life. We really do. Um, because guess what? There's something we're not doing or doing that we want to be doing. And, you know. So we need to look at the intrinsic motivation for what we're doing and how it's serving us because it is serving us. And other things to keep in mind because it did influence how I work is one that hospice study that you mentioned. I I went to the bedside of hospice patients for three years doing guided meditations. And some of them were on IV morphine and Ativan and were in severe anxiety because they knew what was happening, right? And they couldn't breathe. Some of them had lung cancer. uh, And so breathing was difficult for them. And that created a sense of anxiety. And I, we did meditation where we were just focusing on being present to the sensation without trying to change anything. And all of a sudden, their anxiety changed. It came back, but it changed. So it it started making me think like, well, what really are we doing in medicine? And then the other part was prior to that, my beginning of my career, I worked in HIV care. And I started just at a time when medications were making a change. But I saw a lot of my patients in the beginning. I, I had a lot of patients who died. I have a lot that survived because new medications came along. And why I share that, and I always share that, I've been sharing that now every time I'm talking to people in the past few years, because it's I realize it's important because I realized I had a resident once on the HIV shift and the patient was in a coma. Our patient was in a coma um, at one of the hospices. And the resident said to me, well, we, 
we got to look at what her TPN, what her nutrition is. Hmm. And I said, because hmm. he said, well, because you know, the gluten and some of these heavy metals in the, that they're putting in the supplementation, you know, it, it's going to help, not help her. And I'm like, she is brain damaged. She's, and, and it was PML. And when you have that diagnosis, it's usually like two weeks you know, mm-hmm. of life. I'm like, and who are you doing this for? He's right. like, well, we got to do something. We got to do, we got to get rid of this. We got to eliminate this. We got to, I was like, and what do you think it's going to do? I mean, so, and all the students were listening to this conversation and he finally, it, it took like 10, 15 minutes. He finally said, I'm doing this for me because I don't want to feel like I'm not doing something. I'm like, well, being present to someone regulates their nervous system and shows them how they can show up in the world. Now, this person was in a coma, but I'm just saying our attitude can do more to help people learn to regulate their nervous system. And I think that, in my opinion, supersedes all of this. So all of those experiences have informed how I look at the world. And so I keep coming back to, my patient doesn't have to quit smoking. And I've seen practitioners at Bastyr say, well, you know, if you don't quit smoking, you're going to get cancer and die. And I was like, yeah. yeah. You got to scare the patient <laughs> to get yeah. them I mean, to but, quit. <laughs> right? Exactly. And who's what if that is the only thing that gives them joy in the world? Are you going to say that that's wrong? Right. I mean, because what are all of us are going to die and we can take the steps that we can, but I've seen so many people more anxious about the food they're putting in their mouth. And I believe, you know, I'm never going to say it causes disease, but I can say that it's not helping, right? It's going to deregulate the nervous system. Um, So I am more interested in how we want to live this moment and not saying don't care about anything. That's not it. That's the difference between mindfulness or living in the moment and living for the moment. Living for the moment says there's no future. Who cares? Let's do anything. And living in the moment is mindful. It says, there might be another moment. What will be the consequences if I do this? Yeah. And I think living in the moment, especially these days, is a lot more difficult because we're all device obsessed on Facebook and social media. And I find it interesting. You lead meditation sessions right on social media. It's kind of like an oasis in the midst of people scrolling to find Brad Lichtenstein's meditations. <laughs> but how do you view devices and social media as contributing to HPA axis imbalance? Uh, um, <laughs> that sounded painful. <laughs> and, you, you, you can't see my shoulders came up. I was like, I'm cringing. My whole body is prior to, isn't that interesting? We now have like before pandemic, before COVID, BC, before COVID, right? Right. Wow. Yeah. You know, I had taken a break from Instagram. I do have a Facebook page. I never check it. I, you know, anything I post on Instagram just goes to pay. I don't, I, and I have political issues with Instagram and Facebook. I have, you know, and I hear the arguments of people saying, well, it's the only way that we're going to reach patients and get clients. And I don't know if that's true. So prior to this, BC, BC, I was off Instagram. And then when this happened, people were saying, asking me, you know, can I lead some meditation? So I started with Zoom, a uh, Zoom link, and people could do it. And I still have that Zoom link. They can go to my website and sign up there. Mm-hmm. And then I started doing Instagram. Um, 
before, before this, I wasn't checking Instagram and I was happier. There are numerous studies that show the more time you spend on social media, the more your anxiety or depression goes up. And th this one study that I'm referring to, there was the researchers thought it was going to be a U-shaped curve. If you're not spending any time on social media, you might feel left out, and then there will be a sweet spot. And then if you, what they found out though, it was just a straight line. It mm -hmm. just increased the number of hours you spend on social media. Mm -hmm. increase your anxiety or depression. And there's different categories. They had it broken down to like what? I know for some people, it connects them. That's what they like. Some people like my meditations. I post them and they can watch them later. Um, there's one meditation teacher I know who refuses to have an app for this person. Um, all of her training is online you have to use the computer and you could use your phone but she didn't want to use an app because she thinks it it perpetuates the use of cell phones i do believe social media you can try as much as you want you can try as much as you want to like limit your exposure but i think it's contributing to more anxiety yeah. um we are bump if i tell people if you want to read the news don't read it on social media Right. Right. Read, a, read something. Well, it could be on your computer. I, I do recommend using computers over phones. Not that that's the best. Papers are great, but mm -hmm. you know, we could talk about the environmental impact of that. But to, we don't engage with the computer as much. I know we're doing a lot of Zoom stuff. The way we do with our phones, it contorts our posture. That's another downside of it that, that affects our sternocleidomastoid and our trapezius and our other muscles and that can affect the vagus uh, but many times my experience with biofeedback i've put people on biofeedback machines monitored things and had them look at social media and i watched their hrv plummet i watched their skin conductance go up and they're just looking at something they think is benign like kittens mm -hmm. so i think more data about that will help people we we feel like we're going to be left out we curate a persona on social media that we think that we have to continue the rest of our lives. Um, I, I really, if it all disappeared uh, and we had to find out a new way to, to reach out to people, I, I would be happy about that. And I feel like a hypocrite, you know? And so then, then I have that. It's like, well, then should I just get off of Instagram altogether to uh, do that? And, but, but I think it even, it goes beyond social media. I, I read somewhere around something even called email apnea, where just oh. by opening an email, you hold your breath while, while yep. you're reading it. Yep. I have talked about that. Yes. Email apnea. I love that. Um, oh, I have seen that. I've seen that with our patients. We've had them open their email and we're doing that so much more. Well, that's because people don't call people anymore. Right. And this goes back, this goes back to some things that Porges used to say about social engagement. We want to feel engaged, right? Social engagement. We want to feel connection. And I feel that these social media devices that were all about connecting have created mass alienation. Huh. Wow. We wind up judging ourselves worse. We don't feel like we're so connected. Um, even if we go, I know that that's a curated image. We wind up internalizing that. Pick up the phone yeah yeah call people because hearing someone's voice will 
have a positive effect on your nervous system. The problem with Zoom, now BC, remember before COVID, I've heard people who talk about polyvagal theory say, oh, that Zoom is a great idea or FaceTime because you can see people. The downside of that is when you're sitting in front of a camera, what I find and what some researchers are suggesting is that you are staying more static than you would if you were in the presence of a person. You wouldn't be confined to this small box. Mm -hmm. And what we're doing since it's on this computer and it's confusing, your body, your nervous system is scanning that face for cues about you know, mobilization, immobilization, and engagement. We're looking and trying to read the face de desperately and the lighting is bad. <laughs> and <laughs> whose face are you scanning? The other people or your own, right? That's exactly right. <laughs> Oh, I never thought about that one. Yeah, <laughs> um, and 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 so you know we're, we're, the computer freezes and 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 you can't really pick it up. So you are feeling more mobilized, yeah. and this is why we feel exhausted. Part of the reason why we feel exhausted after that. Talk to people on the phone. I'm finding more and more people are saying, "Oh yeah, let's call. Let's talk via phone," and I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And it hits the the vagus nerve, right? That at the yep. end of the day, you're you're, you're getting that vagus uh, stimulation. Exactly. I mean, and you, you know, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, okay, so Brad, <laughs> I we have this one additional question um, that we we call the fireball. It's the uh, it's the too hot to handle question. Just something that, so we can get to know you on a different yeah. level. And the audience gets uh -oh. to know the real Dr. Brad. Yeah. And so I wasn't prepared for this. No, episode. no, this <laughs> no. is off the cuff. This is okay. catch you off guard. This is to get your sympathetic activation going. The fireball. So the question is, animals, if you had to pick the most mindful animal between cats and dogs where which animal is more mindful oh yeah cats <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally thought you were going to say dogs yeah no as as oh which one can help regulate your nervous system or which one's more mindful see those are different questions yeah i mean the the uh you know, I love dogs. I wanted to be a veterinarian just so I really Aww. wanted to be a veterinarian. But then when my dog was attacked by another dog, we took him to the vet and I saw my dog suffer. Aww. I couldn't do it. Yeah. So upsetting to me. So dogs, dogs love you. Dogs are great to help regulate your nervous system. So are cats. Any pets are. Mm -hmm. But I think cats are more mindful because they're like, what is this? Let me look at this. <laughs> nope, not going to do it. You know, dogs will eat anything, you know. Yeah. They're in the what moment, I? I think, about dogs. But cats are very contemplative and meditative, See, don't you think? We were discussing this beforehand, actually, and that was one of the things. <laughs> that's where we came us to. Us all being cat people, because we were thinking, well, dogs, you know, they're sort of infant-like. Yeah, they're, they're like they're, totally in the moment, like, do -do 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 -do. Yeah, and maybe a little dopey. Right. But, but cats really just kind of. They're contemplative, I think. Yes. Right? Yes. And they're always, well, maybe they're not mindful. Maybe they're higher order function, but they're always assessing. We could say that dogs are mindful too in that, um, well, I just think of that dogs just love you. I mean, that they regulate, they're all, they'll, they're all heart and ventral vagus. Mm -hmm. uh, they, <laughs> interestingly, I've talked to some people I know who've done research at the VA hospital, heart rate variability research, and when asked what most of the vets 
think of to cultivate a feeling of love and appreciation, number one thing is their pets. Oh, that's great. Some people have heard me say this. I was doing some research on on neurofeedback and we were supposed to get into positive emotions. And I remember at first I thought of my spouse and it didn't do it. Then I thought of my family, didn't do it. Then I thought of my cat and bing, all of a sudden the lights went off and the sounds went off and I got into this, uh, you know, uh, certain brain waves and heart rate variability. That lasted for like 10 seconds because then I thought, oh my God, what's wrong with me? It doesn't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't love my family. And I was like, oh right. yeah, that's okay. Then the judgment, the inner critic. Yep. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Well, well, we love it, Dr. Brad. And this is just a ridiculous amount of amazing information. And and we're hoping you can come back because I think we want to make you our recurrent mind-body expert. Yeah, our, our resident mind-body go-to person whenever. <laughs> it's I a- would love that. Yay. Talking to you guys has been great. And awesome. we're going to encourage everyone to go to Dr. Brad's um, website called The Breath Space. There's so much amazing information there as well. And we're just honored you spent the time with us today, Dr. Brad. Oh, it was my pleasure. I loved it. Engaging with you. It regulated my nervous system. Oh, great. <laughs> Excellent. How do you feel? Calm. Yeah? Yeah. Well, good. Well, we're about to feel calmer um, because what we did is we asked Dr. Brad yeah. to record a mindfulness meditation that anyone who wants to stick around after the end of the show, you'll get to listen to it. Yeah. Might be a good uh, experiment. If you right. haven't engaged in this sort of uh, thing before, um, but uh, he is very well seasoned in leading uh-huh. these types of meditations. You can tune into his social media platforms if you want more of them, if this isn't enough, but hopefully you enjoy and it will help regulate your nervous system. Yeah. Stick around to the end of the credits of the show. Next time on The Lab Report, Dr. Brian Walsh. Yeah, we're totally going to geek out on biochemistry and biophys. Enough of this mind-body. Let's get into the biochem. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Just find a comfortable posture. And the reason we say a comfortable posture is so that for the next three to five minutes, you don't have to think about your posture. So the very first thing is just to find that comfortable posture. If there's anything you need to do to become 10, 20% more comfortable, do that now. And then feeling your body in this chair, I invite you to turn your awareness, your attention to the experience of sound. So what you're going to do is just notice the sound, sound in the room, sound outside the room, sound in the body, sound of my voice. And you don't have to do anything to make sound happen. It just appears. So can you just open your senses, your attention, your ears to the experience of sound? See, there's a lot of freedom here because you don't have to do anything. You don't have to hunt for it. It just shows up. And I'm going to even invite you to think of it a little bit more of it's just vibration hitting your ear. Don't think of it as words or footsteps. 
experience it as sound hitting your eardrum that creates a wave, a movement. And then on the next out breath, let it go. And that's all for sound. And bring that same kind of awareness now, direct your attention to your nose and smell. Just a few synapses from your smell to your brain. And to be mindful of smell, rather than say, oh, that's my lunch, or someone's cooking that, or it's, oh, I wonder if, those are thoughts. Can you come back to what am I smelling? What is the quality of it? Is it sweet? Is it burnt? Is it floral? Images can pop up. Note those, put those down mentally and come back to that experience of the smell. And on the next breath, let that go. Take this next few moments to notice what's happening in your mind and body as you're doing this. What is the impact of this practice? And then we're going to shift our attention to our tongue and taste. What are you tasting in your mouth right now? Is it prompts, bitter, sweet, salty? Sour, astringent. Note when that elaboration, oh, that's my breakfast. Oh, that's my coffee. That's my... Furthermore, where on your tongue does it live? Is it in the front? Is it the back? Is it the middle? The sides? We're being fully present to our experience of taste. And then let that go. And if your eyes are open, keep them open. If they're closed, keep them closed. But now turn your awareness to vision. What is impressing on your retina? Some people call the senses the impressions because outside stimulus is impressing on the nerves. What colors, what lights, what shapes, what do you see? Whether eyes are closed or open. Remember, don't go hunting for it. Don't mobilize, search for it. Just allow it to impress upon your retina. And you begin to see that all of these senses or impressions, they rise, they fall, they come back, they go. And then let that go. And finally, we have touch, which is such a waste paper basket term for everything. What do we mean by touch? As you know, the sensation of touch, is it pressure? Is it temperature? Is it vibration? These are all different neural pathways. But let's start just right now about pressure. Bring your attention to wherever you feel yourself sitting 
and making contact with the surface. So if you're sitting on a chair, if your feet are on the floor, bring your attention to your bottom of your feet, the bottom of your pelvis. Notice the desire to want to get away from a sensation or lean into it. Just notice it without needing to change it. A myriad of thoughts can come up. Just note. Just be present to the sense of pressure. And the last thing is, I invite you now to just open your awareness to places where you feel the opposite of pressure. Where do you feel lightness or maybe upliftment, maybe spaciousness? Just pick one. Where do you feel the opposite of pressure in your body right now? It could be the top of your nose, top of your head, anywhere. Again, open your awareness and allow it to present rather than search for it. And if we had more time, we might go back and forth. We might go back and forth, shifting our awareness to our pressure and then our lightness and our pressure and lightness until we experience both at the same time. And notice what that does for you. Before we come back into the room, before you open your eyes if they were closed and you start to begin again. Just take a moment to ask yourself, what did this do for me? I directed my focus. Sometimes it was difficult. Sometimes it was easy. That, that's a judgment. doesn't matter. What was it like to practice directing your attention this way? And then just thanking your mind for doing that journey. And then slowly taking a breath or two that's conscious, maybe fuller, deeper. When you open your eyes, if they were closed, just slowly let them look around the room and then come back as fully as possible. <laughs> 